to be turning to the 14th chapter of Matthew. In just a moment, we're going to start reading with the 13th verse in Matthew chapter 14. Words sometimes can be hard to understand. For example, there's no egg in eggplant. There's no ham in a hamburger. And neither is a pineapple, a pine, or an apple. Quicksand works slowly. Boxing rings are square. If a vegetarian eats vegetables, what does a humanitarian eat? People recite at plays and play at recitals. We park on driveways and we drive on parkways. If your nose runs and your feet smell, you just might be built upside down. Your house can burn up even as it burns down. You fill in a form by filling it out. Alarms go off even when they're going on and a car slows up and slows down at the same time. Words are difficult to understand. And in the message this morning, we're going to examine one word that Jesus apparently did not understand. Here in this 14th chapter of Matthew, we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only miracle that is recorded in all four gospel accounts. And when you examine the details of this miracle in those different gospel accounts, you have a better understanding of what happened. Stand if you will. You follow as I read from Matthew chapter 14 and see if you can identify the one word that Jesus did not appear to understand. Starting with verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage from your word today. And we pray that you would open our minds, open our hearts to receive just what you have for us from these words. Father, encourage our faith, encourage our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and be seated. The word that Jesus does not seem to understand is that word only. We have here only five loaves and two fish, the disciples said. Jesus did not even consider that word only because he knew he was going to make that small meal into more than enough. 
Today, we're going to look at, first of all, if you follow your outlines, number one, three life-changing lessons from that miracle feeding of the 5,000. And the first life-changing message is the compassion lesson. Jesus cares. The Bible says when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them and healed their sick. We need to understand something of the background here. If you read the verses just preceding where I started reading a moment ago, Jesus had just learned that John the Baptist had been executed by, King, by Herod Antipas. And he wanted to get away. The Bible says he wanted to go to a solitary place. Jesus needed to grieve the loss of his cousin. And so he got in the boat. And as they sailed out into the lake on the boat, in all likelihood, the people then on the shore kept their eyes on that little boat. It never left their sight. And they followed along the shoreline, waiting for him to come back in. So hungry were they for the gospel. And so when he got to that northeastern shore of the lake, by this time there were thousands of people who had come from the surrounding towns. Now, he could have launched back out into the boat again. He could have told them that he wanted to be alone. He could have miraculously passed through their midst unseen. He did that on another occasion. But instead, Matthew says he looked at the people and he had compassion. He began to feel them spiritual truth by telling them seven parables about the kingdom of God. He also began to minister to them physically. He began to heal the sick. And of course, we know what's coming. He fed them physically as well. In his compassion, Jesus cares about all of our needs. Next comes the faith lesson. Jesus does the impossible. The disciples came to him and said, let's send the people away so they can go to the villages and buy food. And Jesus said, they don't need to be sent away. You feed them. The disciples saw the need. It was an, an impossible need. They took that need to Jesus, rightfully so, but then he surprised them when he said, you take care of it. He told them to do the impossible. When you read this account in the Gospel of John, John tells us that he told them this, you feed them, in order to test their faith. They thought their problem was a lack of food. And what Jesus wanted to help them understand was that the bigger problem was a lack of faith. You see, the time was coming that they would be sent out into the world and to be feeding the world spiritual truth. And they would need to do that not on their own power, but through his power. And in the same way for us today, we need to be about kingdom work. And we need to be doing it with kingdom faith and with kingdom power. Sometimes Jesus even asks us to do the impossible. And he does it to test our faith. I remember when I was in school. And sometimes we would hear the teacher say, everyone clear off your desks except for one blank sheet of paper. And we would all cringe. <laughs> sometimes there were audible gasps from the class. Sometimes 
God says, take out a blank piece of paper. And there's only one question on God's test. Do you trust me? That's the only question. And that could be my sermon today in four words. Do you trust me? The answers we gave on that sheet of paper were not to teach the teacher anything. And the answers we give is not for, are not for God's information. It is to show ourselves and to show him how much faith we have. Your faith is going to be tested continuously throughout your life. And God does not bring those tests in order to shame you or to hurt you or to embarrass you. He does it to strengthen you. James chapter 1, starting with verse 2, says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Going back to that school illustration, we would all breathe a sigh of relief every once in a while when the teacher would say something like, well, now this one's not going to count against you. I just want to help you. <laughs> but you know what? God would say to us today, this is not going to count against you. What did Jesus say? I didn't come to condemn you. God would say to us today, I just want to help you. Do you trust me? Some people are feelers. That's how they address problems with their feelings with their emotions the disciples looked around and they saw the mob they saw how it was getting late in the day and they began to panic and that's how they dealt with it their feelings said send the people away in other words get rid of the problem making decisions based on feelings alone can be misleading other people are figurers they address their problems with their minds they're the calculators. They're the analyzers. Once again, following this account in the Gospel of John, John tells us that it was Philip who made this statement, Lord, a year's wages would not be enough to buy everyone a single bite. Philip was an analyzer. Philip was thinking, okay, the last time I was at the market, I had a fish sandwich and if I had one of those and I cut it up into little pieces and, oh man, there are a thousand people out here, this is going to take a year's salary. Philip was trying to figure it all out. The problem, though, is that God's math is different from our math. When we want to divide, some, when we want to uh, pass out the food, we divide it. When Jesus was ready to pass out that food, he multiplied it. I have some math equations for you. Human math says five loaves plus two fish divided by thousands is impossible. God's math says five loaves plus two fish multiplied by the power of God equals more than enough. And that leads us to the next lesson. And that's the abundance lesson. Jesus turns poverty into plenty. The disciples said, we only have these five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus said, bring it to me. 
bring me your only and watch what I can do with it. John tells us that Andrew brought this little boy to Jesus who had the five loaves and the two fish. I like Andrew. This isn't your homework. This will come later. But if you want to do a study sometime, look at the Gospels and look at all the times that Andrew brought someone to Jesus. Andrew brought his brother Simon, who became Peter the Rock. Andrew brought this little boy in our lesson today. Later, Andrew brought Greeks who wanted to know more about Jesus. This little unnamed lad, this little fella, only had five loaves, we would say little buns, and two little fish. And truth be known, these were probably the size of fish that some of us use for bait when we're fishing. This was nothing more than an Israeli happy meal. But he was willing to give it to Jesus. He didn't know what was going to happen. But he was willing to trust Jesus. What is the, the question on God's test? Do you trust me? He was willing to give it to Jesus. That's what faith does. We don't know exactly how it's all going to work out, but we trust God. Everything about us says, hold on to what you have. Don't jeopardize what is yours. Think about yourself. Faith says, let go and let God. Faith says, give it to Him. I would love to have seen the look on that little boy's face when Jesus began to supersize that happy meal. God used only that little meal until everyone was fed. Not only enough for the 5,000 men, but women and children as well, and there were leftovers. One of my favorite verses of Scripture is Ephesians 3.20. It's God's nature to give more than enough. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us. That's the New King James Version. First of all, at the end of that verse, it tells us that that miraculous power is already at work in us. But then you look at the middle of that verse and you see how those three powerful words just pile up on top of each other to increase the force of that promise. Exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ask or even imagine. One commentator said, we don't even have adequate words in English to relay the force of that statement. Another one said this, translated as superabundant beyond measure, more than enough. And so what do we do with our only? Number two in your outlines, Jesus did four simple things. And I would say to us today, if you want your only to be transformed into exceedingly abundantly above all you can possibly imagine, do these same four things. First of all, 
when Jesus took the food, the first thing he did was to look up to heaven. A very typical Hebrew blessing before a meal would have been, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings bread from the earth. When you're facing a need, you may be tempted to focus on that problem, that challenge, whatever it is, to focus on your own resources, but don't look at just what you have. Instead, lift your eyes to heaven. Look with eyes of faith. Take the advice of Psalm 121, verses 1 and 2. I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Some today may be overwhelmed with a problem, a challenge, a concern. It may be something in a relationship. It may be a financial problem. It may be something within your family. It could be something physically going on with you. If that's all that you're looking at, you're looking in the wrong direction. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look how? Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I've said it before, and I will continue to say it. I hope you never get tired of it. God will never allow anything to touch your life that he cannot use for your good and for his glory. The Bible says that we enter his gates with thanksgiving, but I think thanksgiving is the best way to approach all of life as well. When you embrace the fact that you have what you have because God gave it to you, you will express your gratitude. In 1656, Dutch artist Nicolaus Maus painted a picture that he entitled Old Woman at Prayer. It depicted a simple woman sitting alone at a table praying over just part of a loaf of bread and a small bowl of soup. And you can tell from the surroundings that she's a poor, humble woman. And he was inspired to paint her portrait after visiting with her and she invited him to share lunch with her and after praying she looked at that partial loaf of bread and that bowl of soup and she said all of this and Jesus too and that inspired him to paint her portrait so instead of complaining about what you don't have thank God for what you do have all of this and Jesus Cherish the value of brokenness. The next point. After Jesus looked to heaven, after he thanked God, then he broke the bread. And it was in the act of breaking it that it began to be multiplied. God values broken things. It's kind of like that math problem a while ago. God does things differently. In our materialistic culture, when something is broken, it loses part of its original value. But you see, in God's math, brokenness only increases its value. The bread had to be broken 
in order to be multiplied. The alabaster box had to be broken for that perfume to be spilled out to anoint Jesus. The roof above Jesus' head had to be broken in order for those friends to let their loved one down to Jesus. David's heart had to be broken before he could acknowledge his sin. David said in Psalm 51, 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me. Melt me. Mold me. Heal me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. I was once criticized because I asked our choir to begin every service for about three months with that chorus. You know what? What a difference it would make in our world if every believer began each day saying, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me. Melt me. Mold me. And fill me. There's another version of that chorus that says, use me. That leads us to our next point. Serve others before yourself. Matthew says in the very same sentence, in one sentence, Matthew says, Jesus gave the food to the disciples and they gave it to the people. And when they gathered the leftovers, how many baskets were there? Twelve. How many disciples were there? Twelve. Now we've all heard the symbolism of the twelve tribes of Israel. Yes, I get it. That's there. But could it be? Could it be that in this very simple lesson, Jesus was telling his followers, serve others first, and I'll take care of you. Years ago, <clears throat> you would drive up to a service station, and someone would come out and ask, may I help you? And after you asked for 2 or $3 worth, or maybe $5 worth of gas, which at 29 cents a gallon, that was a lot of gasoline, <clears throat> they would start pumping the gas, and then they would come around to the front and they would wash your windshield. And then they would lift the, the hood and they would check the oil in your engine. And then while that gas continued to pump, they would go around, they would check the tire pressure, the air pressure in all four of your tires. And then before asking you for the money, they would say, is there anything else I can do to help you? Through the years, that service began to be replaced and there would be a sign at one set of gas pumps that said full service. And then a sign at another set of gas pumps that said self-serve only, even though it was the same gas. But you know what? Even now, today, we don't even have a sign there anymore. It's just understood it's going to be self-service. My point is this. Christians today must be committed to the full service of those around us. Christians today must be committed to full service for those around us. Sometimes I'm amused 
when I hear a pastor say, so in closing, and then they go on for another 10 or 15 minutes. So I'm not going to say so in closing, but I will tell you I'm getting there. (laughs) Will you give God only what you have? The story is told in the third and the fourth chapters of Exodus of Moses standing in front of a burning bush. He's 80 years old, and he has spent the last 40 years of his life living in obscurity, tending his father-in-law's sheep. And God wants to send Moses on a mission, and when Moses hesitates, God gives him a test. What's the question on God's test? Do you trust me? God says to Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses said, it's, it's just a shepherd's staff. In other words, it's only a stick. God says, throw it down. And when he throws it on the ground, immediately it becomes a snake. And then God says, pick it up. Now this has nothing to do with snake handling, and it has everything to do with a miraculous Because something happened between the time that he laid it down and presented it to God and when he picked it back up again. The snake had gone out of it and the power of God had gone back into it. It wasn't only a stick anymore. In Exodus chapter 4 verse 17, God says this to Moses, Take this staff in your hand so you can perform miraculous signs with it. It wasn't only a stick anymore. It was the rod of God. And it was just a short time later that Moses was facing an impossible situation. The Red Sea was in front of him, and the approaching Egyptian army was behind him. But he didn't have only a stick in his hand. He held up that staff and the water divided. God may well be saying to you today, clean off your life except for one blank sheet of paper. And he may well be saying, do you trust me? You know by now that I give you homework every Sunday. Here's your homework and it's very simple. All you have to do is spend some time this week with this four-word question. What is my only? What is my only? Some might say, I only have my job or I only have my retirement. God is saying, lay it down before me. I only have my family. Lay it down before me. The only thing I have is my home. Lay it down. Well, I only know how to do a few things. Only? What does that mean? Lay it down. I'm only a simple person. I only have a little to give. Jesus is saying, only? Give it to me. What about this one? We are only a small church. God says only? 
What does that mean? You just watch what I can do. Adam was only a pile of clay. David was only a boy with only a slingshot. Daniel was only a boy lost in a foreign culture just trying to be faithful. Mary was only a young woman. Peter and Andrew and James and John were only fishermen. They said Jesus was only a carpenter. I close with this today. I considered my little and God said to me, Child, what do you mean by saying only? It was only a word that created all you can see. It was only some clay that brought you to be. Only a staff parted the sea and only one man set them all free. Only a young shepherd who took down a foe and there's a lesson that I need you to know. It was only a stable and only a girl and only a carpenter who changed the whole world. So it's not what you have, but my strength, you see. And I can do miracles with your little only. Use only what you have. Watch what God can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these very simple words. But oh, how strong they are, how powerful they are for us, how challenging they are for us. Father, help us to identify that little only that we're just trying to hold on to for ourselves. Help us to give it to you. Whatever it might be, Father, we ask that you would give us the desire to, to love you and please you more by giving you all that we are. And then, Father, use us. Bless us. Work through us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, fill me, and use me. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing our hymn of commitment. And this is your opportunity to respond in any way that God might be speaking to you. Maybe you've been thinking about your only. Are you willing to give it to God? In any way that God might be speaking to you, would you listen to his voice and respond to him? Stand